Welcome to The Q, Conversations in Digital Media. This podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media, digital campaign execution and optimization since 2004. Our next episode is queued up and ready to roll. Thank you for listening. You're in the queue. Welcome to the queue, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media, of course. Q1 Media is your partner for all your digital marketing needs. Check out q1media.com. Go look at the case studies or just look on the website and see what cool stuff you can find. And reach out to us if you need any help with any digital marketing stuff. Uh, to today's podcast and episode, uh, we had a really cool guest, a guy who started uh, really in the infancy of internet uh, creating websites when he was 14 years old, which is very impressive. Uh, his background goes from not only from the SEO side, but also to the paid media side, and now he works for Tall Wave, uh, an agency out of the Phoenix, greater Phoenix area. His name's Dallas McLaughlin. It was great speaking with him. I hope you guys enjoy this. This is the Q. Thanks, Dallas, for joining us here in the queue. I I know you're you're kind of a familiar person with the Austin experience. Uh, you've been here for South by Southwest, done a few things. So I I have to ask everybody when they come in, what is your favorite taco? I mean, if you if you've it can it can be outside of Austin. It can be wherever you're from, but I know tacos are really big here. So uh, I'll say a breakfast taco because I know we're in Austin. This is this is where they come from. You gotta yeah. have a good breakfast taco, scrambled eggs, sausage, maybe some bacon. Double up on the meat. Have you had the chance to try any of the tacos here? I and, haven't. Uh, well, you, there's a few in town. Maybe on your way out, you can yeah. <laughs> could grab a few. Uh, but I, I guess what is your favorite food? I guess what would you what would your go to be? Oh man, if if things were ending tomorrow, I would I would get definitely just buffalo wings. I could eat buffalo wings every single day of just every day of my life. It's spicy, fantastic. sweaty, you know, like... No, I can't do spicy. No, I'm, I'm not a spicy food guy. I'm from the Midwest, so I can't handle much spice. Ketchup's a little bit spicy for me, but... Uh, well... Uh, spicy garlic's okay, though. No pepper on the ketchup, then. No. <laughs> well, uh, so you're from the Midwest. Uh, yeah, tell us where you're from. Yeah, so I'm from southern Minnesota, uh, a town called Rochester. It's... Most people know it as the, the hometown of the Mayo Clinic, so that's, that's what the town's built around. A lot of doctors, a lot of nurses... And then everybody else that supports that. Are your your folks in the medical field? No, they're not. They were the folks that supported that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So uh, you grew up there. How was it growing up there? Was there like an interest in, you know, sort of, what, what were your interests when you were growing up? Yeah, so being in Minnesota, you pretty much grew up playing hockey. That's that's what you do all day, every day, um, all year round. So that was that was pretty uh, deeply ingrained in, in my childhood and still play hockey a little bit today when I get a chance. And Are you a Wild fan? What's, oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, the playoffs, I know that staying the Cup's going on, so you're yeah. probably keeping a close eye on that, yeah, too. Game threes tonight. Yeah, it's uh I feel like, you know, the Wild had a few good years there for like I guess 5 5 years ago. Like, yeah, they've yeah. gone on a couple runs, but yeah. just can't quite get it done. I know. Wow. Well, hey, the the basketball team and the baseball teams had a few good good runs too, but baseball yeah. teams actually killing it right now. Are they, yeah, Twins are in first place, so um on their division, it's kind of crazy. Uh well, yeah, so growing up there, uh so where'd you go to college? So I went to a, a music college called the Institute of Production and Recording. It's actually founded by a group that are from Prince's recording studio, which was Paisley Park. They closed that down. 
and most of his staff said, well, let's go open a college and kind of train up the next round of audio engineers, and I was in one of those early waves of people that went through there. Did you ever get to meet him? Not personally, but you'd see him walk through. So. The way that the the school was structured was around seven different recording studios. Kind of the school was kind of set on top of it, so he'd come in, record music, and he'd like kind of get the memo like, "Hey, Prince is going to be in today. Like, you know, don't look at him, don't tell anybody." And we you'd see him walk through, and he's probably five foot three. Somebody can fact check me on that, but it's crazy how tiny he is. Yeah, but he still carries a big presence, oh, yeah. right? Like, yeah. there's still like it's his aura, right? Yeah. So how was that? I mean, do you just always had an interest in music, and yeah. and I guess how was the school? I mean, what what? Did... So the school was really cool because it was more of a trade school. So mm -hmm. you're just focused intensely on that one thing and and how good you can do at that thing, and you aren't really distracted by much else. So uh, it was a good crash course and just how to focus in on that skill set and grow that. And uh, so the way I actually, we'll probably get there. But the, while I was there, I was recording music, but I was also driving leads to recording studios and that's kind of the collision of these two different worlds so, oh, so how'd you do that music um man so where do we start in this story <laughs> we're, go forever we're putting the cart before the horse on this one no 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 go for it uh, you can yeah if, if you want to hold off we can but uh let's hold off on that okay one, so um so you get done with the music school obviously you get to see prince a little bit and and uh i'm sure you're a big prince fan you know, oh, I growing love up prince, yeah. growing up in minnesota uh so where, where'd you go then uh, so from there, I actually left college and I actually opened my own recording studio. So I, I was just running that out of my basement. This would have been, I would say, 2007. So it was right at the tip of where in-home digital marketing, digital recording studios were actually achievable and affordable and actually produced a good sound. Um, so I started building that out, taking on a lot of my own clients, and that's what I did for three or four years. Wow. What type of music? anything i mean if you have a business to float anybody that wants to make music i mean they can come in but my core skill set was around mostly uh rock bands like rock drums band. and the guitar nice okay well yeah that's i know there's a big uh, there was a big like emo screamo phase there up in minnesota for michigan there, in, the, in the midwest in those years there was so um well the so did you get into you know you know the digital side through that avenue or how did I mean was that all separate I mean how did that work no. out so the way I got into all this um, when I was like 14 or 15 years old I actually started building websites and this would have been uh, 1998 1999 so I taught myself how to code and through family connections because my families were involved in like the local entrepreneur networks I was able to start selling websites through that um, they didn't know they were coming from a 14-year-old and 15-year-old kid because it was all just handled like through my mom and dad. They'd be like, yeah, I know a guy that can build a website, and I'd be the guy building it, and they'd sell it for like 200 bucks. Like, but to me, I was becoming rich at the time. How did you learn code at that age? Uh, so my stepmom actually, as a joke, she worked for the government, got a, a computer hacking book because her job was like on cybersecurity back then. And in that book was like your intro to HTML. And I, for some reason, it just like I picked it up one day and started looking at it, and I was like, I think I can understand this. It made sense to you as a yeah. language. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, that's Basically. insane. So you were one of the early adopters, yeah. I guess, from you know the Internet 1.0 or whatever. Um, yeah. So from there, building in these websites, I guess, what did that? I mean, did you just start your own business and then just yeah, keep I mean, that going throughout? It was pretty natural because if you build this website, so first you learn how to build the website. This is how I always try to think about it. 
then it's like, okay, well now I've got this thing and nobody knows about it. So how do you get people there? So then it evolved into, okay, there's these things called search engines. So now I've got to figure out SEO. So let me work on these websites that I built so they actually show up inside of search engines to actually get people there. Was it pre-Google? Was it mostly Yahoo at that point? Yeah, it was like it was like Ask Jeeves and Lycos and what was the dog one? That might have actually been Lycos, but yeah, there was there was a lot of weird ones out there. Yeah. But and then, the game was always the same. And then when Google came along, yeah. changed the game a lot just a tad. Yeah, they actually they actually made it a little bit easier cuz they were as much of a black box as it was and still is, they actually were a little bit more open about we want to we want to reward websites to provide a good user experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, they actually made it a little bit easier for me. So what was when in those days in the optimization days? I know SEO became a big term. Most advertisers knew probably in the mid two thousands. But at that time, were there still like the meta tags and all that other language? Was it still there? And was it hard to explain to people? Or did you even uh, go down that no. road? No, back then nobody needed the technical understanding, and yeah. I'd argue that maybe they still don't. But mm-hmm. back then they they didn't they didn't care. They just said there's this thing called Google. It's where people are going. How do I show up on there? And then I'd say I can work some magic, black magic behind. You the can get into the images, like, the localization, yeah. all that stuff. <laughs> nobody cared. So <laughs> just went from there. I think that I think there is a time when all that stuff kind of came to to light, and most you know advertisers agencies now are like, okay, we're accustomed to this, and maybe that wasn't the best <laughs> best call. Yeah. Uh, but you knew that side of the business. So then I guess did you transition out of that and go into um, the media? buying side or the agency side yeah so then the next evolution of that was okay I've driven kind of as much as I can through SEO Mm -hmm. well how do I kind of throw the gas on that fire and that was paid media so that was mid early 2000s so 2004 2005 then it's like okay these search ads are now out and they're pretty easy to place and nobody else is using them so you can get penny clicks on just about anything you want to yeah, what was on. the cost of some of the campaign like average cost per click on some yeah, of the it, campaigns it really actually was like penny clicks five cent clicks because nobody was using it and you could just rank for anything it was before a lot of ad rank came around so you could really bid if you're like a steakhouse you could bid on italian food and it was like they didn't have solutions to no quality that. scores yeah like nothing really existed yet yeah. i mean it was there but it just didn't really work that well and since nobody else was bidding on those terms, he could just do it anyway, and it'd be like, sure, I'll pay ten cents for that click. I guess. And the landing pages didn't probably need to be up to snuff or right. mobile friendly and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah, this insane. was like this was yeah that's this was that time where you had the M dot websites, the mobile version, and then your actual desktop ones. So it was just like just a crazy time. There's also proxy sites for a lot of. Uh, <laughs> Company or campaigns and companies that would run proxy site campaigns where it wasn't even traffic to their actual site. It was just yeah. a, a made-up site that you know, I mean, they made tons of money on that stuff. Yeah. But it was. Uh, I mean, it, it's cool. I always say that. Like, I'm 33, but I'm right at that age where it was like a lot of the foundation for what's going to happen in the next 20 to 30 years. Like, we had to fight through that and figure that out along the way. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when you go back in history, it's like that was crazy. Like, what were we even doing? But that's the plumbing that sets up the rest of the stuff that we're going to be working on. Have you ever gone down that road where you can uh, look up websites in the past? Oh yeah, it's yeah. really unique. Yeah, the Wayback <laughs> way Machine's a really cool way to just look at even like big sites, like you know the the ESPNs or yeah. the CNN news sites. You look at those and you just laugh. Well, if you look at YouTube, it started as a dating website. Like if you looked at the first iteration of YouTube, it was a dating website. If you go on Wayback Machine, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's like all the stuff's still out there. If you look at the first version of Google, it's not very far from what it is. You couldn't swipe right or left, though. (laughs) No, no, not yet. They were onto something, though. (laughs) I guess so. Well, then Tinder came along and changed the game. I guess there's always the there's there's always somebody that figures out the game, but then somebody else comes along and that's the Michael Jordan of the game and changes it. (laughs) So I guess so. So for you, um, yeah. What? Who was? 
what what changed the game in your mind? I guess when you were in that era, like what what was the biggest impact along the way? Well, I think it, it probably was when I first started getting into paid search again, 2004, 2005. But then when when paid social came out, then it was okay. So the way I always look at this is an adoption cycle to all these things. So paid search came out and it was super cheap. Nobody knew actually how to do it. Definitely no one knew really how to do it well. And then everybody showed up, it got more expensive, then it kind of became table stakes that you knew how to do paid search. And then paid social came around, and I saw that as, okay, here's the start of the next cycle, so let me look at that. And again, nobody knew how to do it, nobody was placing ads there yet, the ads manager platform. It was and what year was, I mean, I know Facebook was 04, I think, when it came out, but what year did they really start? They really opened up the ad network in like 07, 08. 07, yeah, when so, they opened up to everybody. I yeah. think it was still college platform. Yeah. Uh, when I joined in 05, which is insane to think because I had it a year after yeah. they had started and I went to Texas State in San Marcos and it's like it already reached there within a year. Yeah. <laughs> so Again, insane. that's one of those things where it's like, you know, we were around for that. That, yeah. was, that was a phenomenon that might not happen again. Like mm -hmm. everything's so fragmented now, you probably won't see that one thing that just pops up and takes over. Um, but yeah, once I, once I found that ad network, it was like same thing. I can sell literally anything. And I actually got into... Um, like your ClickBank websites, like this is, gets into kind of the hairy stuff, but like ClickBank affiliate websites and things, jvzoo.com, all these websites where it's like, I can go find any like cookbook, any dog leash manufacturer in in Mexico and as for a percentage of the revenue, I can sell it all day through Facebook. And it was just, it was a wild time. That's actually where I learned almost everything I apply today. It's like, how do you segment out lists? How do you retarget? How do you drive a landing page experience? I figured it out selling the sketchy. All the pixels book. that need to be placed <laughs> to, to track all that. And I think that's, I think that was such an amazement at the time too, that you could track all these things. And at the mm -hmm. traditional media, you just couldn't with right. TV radio. I mean, you could, you know, see an uptick if you're a local business with, with foot traffic, but online sales were still kind of young and in, in their infancy yeah. stage. Um, so you were, you were in the wild, wild west, just, you know, slinging out there. <laughs> it was just, it was a ton of fun. It yeah. was never like a job. It was never about the money it was just like can i make this thing relevant to the people i'm putting it in front of and then i'd do it and it worked with the social ads back then too i know now we're kind of going to a point where facebook and and a lot of these big companies like google are starting to uh, put restrictions on who we can target but back then when you first started were, were was there a, a good ability to target say oh, yeah. somebody who was interested in anything was it just open everybody back then yeah so there back then i was using a lot of people were Cause a lot of little like forums and chat rooms popped up of the people that were just working this behind the scenes and you could do what was called, um, uh, can what was the phrase for it? It's basically, it just goes through, you can, they did their open graph search. So you'd go to their open graph search and you'd say everybody in California born in 1986 and it would give you a list of everybody. And then it was a page scraper is what it was. And so then you could just rip their names and user ID right out of that. Oh my gosh. And that's where all the t-shirts came from that was like, my name's John and I was born in 86 or whatever. And you saw those ads just take over for like a year because there was people running page scrapers, pulling everybody's names and user IDs and then selling them a shirt that was exactly that thing. So it'd be like, you could do year you were born in and your job title. So it'd be like mechanics in 86 are the strongest men ever and you'd sell 10,000 of those shirts. Yeah, I remember those and mine were unfortunately, sales is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> digital sales. It's like, yeah. wait a second, that doesn't make, I don't want that shirt. 
<laughs> it's not as cool of a hobby, but yeah, like you could put in, or I would see, um, say like my favorite movie or yeah. band's t-shirt in some weird font on there. So that was interesting. I think with uh, even some of the interest when Facebook went to the ad network when you were, when I started, you could just put like, oh, these are my favorite movies. These are my favorite bands. And then when they started the ads, uh, they made those turn into basically, you know, groups. So they knew that I had those uh, interests, which is just insane to think that they knew more than you know, I yeah. knew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you think about what Facebook did, they really said, they built a platform, but they just enabled, they crowdsourced the fulfillment of all these user profiles to then just go sell them ads against what they actually input into the machine. So, mm -hmm. uh, obviously, super smart. Yeah, so we have the social media boom, then we have really where video, YouTube, uh, mobile, uh, mm -hmm. smartphones, uh, you know, how did that impact things for, for you on that side? So again, it's the same thing. To me, the, the principles of how do you sell somebody on desktop didn't change once you got to mobile, and still to this day it doesn't change. If you put something in, interesting in front of somebody whose interests align with that thing, and it's a great user experience from introduction to sale, it should be a simple process. It doesn't matter what the device is, it doesn't matter necessarily what the product is, as long as it aligns with them. Price point doesn't even really matter. As long as you build out that experience, I don't care if they come across YouTube and then onto a mobile or off of a mobile device on the desktop, and then they're on their Roku. None of it matters. As long as you keep that thread consistent uh, and build out that full customer journey, it's it's just a simple process. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that you know you can target the right audience all day, but if you don't have a consistent message or a good creative consistent yeah. message message with some sort of call to action, then your your all that targeting that you did and all that upfront research is just gonna yeah, go to waste. It breaks down. Yeah. yeah. So, what type of clients do you or did you start to work with? Um, you know, kind of in the in the media buying space, retail, or was it mostly? Um, yeah. So. Around that same time, that 2008, 2009 period, that's when I first kind of got my introduction into agencies. Um, and where I was from, there was just one really small agency in town. And because they were just one of one, they had anything, any small like barbershop, nail salon, restaurant, little retail store, anybody that wanted to do any kind of advertising. Um, again, because most people weren't doing anything themselves back then as far as digital is concerned, they went to this one tiny agency. Um, so I worked there. Uh, did. All, I mean, it wasn't really programmatic at the time, but their banner ads, it was early Facebook stuff, paid search. Um, so that was kind of it. And the, yeah, it was just a ton of really, really tiny campaigns. And I think that was a really important thing to go through because I do run into people today where it's like they got a job right out of college at some big holding company and had millions of dollars of, of budget to work with. So there's a ton of slippage in that ad spend. There's a ton of wasted ad dollars. But when I started, all those dollars meant everything to those companies and those families that owned those companies. So I really had to make sure, and I put a lot of pressure on myself and the other team members to make sure they all worked. And all the targeting was on. Again, there was no breakdown in that customer journey. Uh, and, and that was a really important learning experience because now it makes sense then once you're up into the bigger budgets, it's like, okay, I still have that understanding, that foundation, just at a bigger scale now. Yeah, and it's even probably more difficult now if if you're you are a small business because that budget's even tighter and it's not as cheap as it was back then so right. it's it's even more crucial um, and I think that's something that you're right a lot of people just can't handle a big budget like that but they need somebody like you to to be there to guide them through that customer journey and obviously the strategic approach uh, did you handle a lot of creative uh, a lot of strategy as well or did they kind of just come to you and were like hey you're the dude that can get us what we need and like serve yeah. the right people I mean yeah was that 
something that you kind of dabbled in a little bit? Uh, I didn't want to. So <laughs> I don't think media people should ever be tasked with creative. Mm -hmm. I believe they should provide the strategy, the oversight. I do believe it's a whole different medium. Like it's it's much different to sell a print, like do creative for print than it is for digital because digital requires that engagement and that action. Print is just an awareness play. It can look beautiful and all that stuff. Um, but what I ended up running into in the agency world was they would say, hey, media team, we need to fill this ad spec uh, that's some weird spec that no one's ever heard of because it's one placement on some weird website. And we would have to like cobble together things from some various assets and it just never went well. It slowed down the whole machine. You'd have to, have to make a 728 by 90 out of a 300 by 600 yeah, ad unit. All stretched out and weird. <laughs> yeah. um, so again, yeah, those early, those early years were just people would whatever just get it just fill that placement and, and serve that ad I don't care what it looks like we just need to fill that inventory and that was that was terrible and now you're actually seeing media teams we kind of fought through that where it was like okay we control the media piece we're responsible for the landing page experience so the conversion rate we're responsible for the click-through rate also on the front end of that engagement but if we're not controlling those two things it's still a scary place to be in because we have to report on both of those metrics that we're not touching mm -hmm. um, so for me nowadays we're trying to be engaged in the creative not create it but still provide that strategic oversight as far as like you know maybe a rounded button will outperform a square button maybe a different call to action at this point in the funnel is what's going to be needed to make that click yeah so, and that comes with experience but then also you've run campaigns like that before and seen yeah. those results uh, do you I, do you recommend for clients to do uh, different variations like A B C D, you know types of creative or what is there a limit to that, you know, it, you don't want to yeah. go crazy. Yeah, I think you need to know first what you're testing for how long, how you're going to determine that winner, and then what you're going to do with that information. I think a lot of people are testing a lot of stuff. They're getting all this data back, and it's like okay, but what do we do with it now? Like how do we, how are we measuring this? For example, in display creative. You know, I wouldn't look at the conversion element. I wouldn't look at the conversion rate of that creative as the winner, because it's not really a conversion tactic. It's it's an awareness tactic. So what's the click through rate of that? So you just have to understand what channel you're testing, what variable you're testing, and then what metric is going to determine that winner. So yeah. paid search ad copy, probably also click through rate. If it's landing page conversion rate, just understand what you're measuring. Yeah, I think that's the biggest key, and and also especially when strategy comes into play, you need to you know, have somebody there that goes, okay, well, if it is conversion or lead based, here's XYZ tactics that I would approach and here are the KPIs and what we need to look for, whether that's average position, you know, click through rate, um, or maybe it's really key for some clients, which I've come across too. It's like, oh, what's my average cost per click? I'm like, well, <laughs> it's, you need to get traffic to your website. Obviously, that's the big point here, but we also need to drive in conversions and drive in them enough traffic to get those leads. Um, so, so what do you say is probably ch changed most recently in just the past two to three years um, that's maybe affected the, the digital side? I would say number one for me is client education. The clients understand so much more about what we're doing and um, kind of where the, the gaps are in their media plans and they're starting to challenge the technology a lot more. They're starting to challenge the reporting. Um, they're starting to understand things like cross-device, um, understand <laughs> things like attribution models for the first time in a long time. They're starting to ask questions. Is that a good thing? These. That's that's where uh, that's a huge debate. Yeah, <laughs> it depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, what I always say is, you know, the more questions you ask, like ask the questions, mm -hmm. like for one to check your agency, make sure they're doing their work and they know mm -hmm. what they're talking about. 
but then accept the answer. Like you don't need the full technical understanding of it. You just need to know that that person had an answer. Um, and it's an answer that somewhat makes sense. Like I don't need to explain position-based attribution modeling to you or, or linear decay or anything. Just know that I have an attribution model that I believe is going to work for you, and here's how I'm going to report against that attribution model. Yeah, and don't... I feel like sometimes some people can get too hung up on something, or they read an article that's like, hey, mm -hmm. the top five reasons, top things that you should be looking for for your, your campaign, your display campaign, and then they get stuck on it. So, right. <laughs> which... The media doesn't really help us in that regard. <laughs> right, and you'll get a you'll you'll know when that happens because you'll get some email for the client looking for some report, and you're like, "Well, yeah, but what are you ever gonna do with this report? <laughs> like, what what value are you gonna get out of it?" But here it is. Like, yeah, we can look get at you it. the report. Yeah, it's just what are you gonna take from it? Uh, so at the end of the day, I, with you, you mentioned connected TV being sort of a big player now. Um, you know, is that a, a big shift of, of dollars from going from digital or traditional media to this place that is just easier to buy because you can buy based on audiences maybe a little bit better than you would say a program in the 5P News or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think connected TV. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, we just know it's going to be a huge thing. We don't know exactly when it's fully going to kind of take more of the market share. I think a lot of what that industry is challenged with or that specific tactic is challenged with is a lot of people that are currently buying TV have a very fixed mindset about what they're looking for out of their TV performance um, versus somebody like me who would approach connected TV where it's, I know exactly who I'm targeting and I know the difference between the different households that are watching maybe that same show but they have different buyer personas. So I want to target them with different creative at different times of day. But they want to then, for some reason, they're okay not measuring TV but they're not okay not measuring connected TV. Something something changes just because there's a digital component. So then I still have to approach connected TV saying, well, I can't measure it you know, like I can a paid search ad, for example. I can't mm -hmm. tell you every single person that saw that and for how long and, and what they did after that happened. I mean, there's a lot of things like fingerprinting of mobile devices that are coming around now that helps us. But we still can't measure it like a paid search ad. So then the TV people are saying, well, that's our that's our incentive to go digital is because we get all this measurement. It's like so then they just stay in traditional. So until you kind of break that model of the C-suite, mm -hmm. it's going to be a slower adoption, slow for connected TV. Do you think that model will be broken by the more percentage of people who have cut the cord, yeah. or do you think it's it's sort of a reactionary approach that that's being taken right now, or more just we we need more data because data because digital is always measured by the data. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be both. I think obviously that C-suite is going to start aging out. Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be people entering into very important generational age ranges that have large buying power that have never had cable TV. Mm -hmm. It's not that they cut the cord, they never had it. Um, so that's going to be something to think about. There's also then the idea of, so the traditional TV players spending huge in TV that haven't shifted over to connected TV yet. Again, if you think through the cycle of all these things, paid search, paid social, connected TV, even programmatic display in the middle there, there's huge opportunity then for the direct-to-consumer brands that are digitally native, that understand this stuff, that never bought TV, don't want to spend that money on TV because for their brand it doesn't make sense. Connected TV, they're saying, oh, we need to go like one-to-one -one with our audiences, let's put all of our money in connected TV. The issue is traditional TV, they haven't, as demand has fallen, they haven't brought their prices down to match. You're still way overpaying to put a TV ad and run that spot in the middle of the news because people still watch the news, you know, in real time. 
Nielsen's share has has dropped every yeah. year, and especially I know within a market the one you're in, Phoenix, the big metropolitan areas, Austin's the same way. It's somewhere like over thirty percent. Um, and like you said, that those people who are now in their thirties, even the millennials, have cut the cord. But even those, you know, the old, the older generations, you know, even some of the baby boomers are are fed up with paying one hundred and eighty dollars for their cable. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. So I think that's, uh, I think with, like you said, there still is that awareness approach that they still have to understand with connected TV, but they, they want that digital data and that extra like foot, like I want that foot traffic attribution or I want those conversions, but they don't realize like when you're watching a spot on TV, there's no way to click that. Yeah. <laughs> it's still yeah. the same way you're viewing, you know, like you would be on cable. Yeah. So. I think the, I think the, the partners selling the technology need to take that mindset too there because they're trying to lead with it's tv you can measure and i think the lead needs to be it's just a better way to target your tv mm -hmm. what happens from there we'll give you some guidance but that's not the value proposition they're setting themselves up for failure by saying we're going to measure this all the way through they need to just say treat it like radio if you're running audio treat it like just a traditional linear TV if you're running connected TV as far as the awareness and the impact that's going to have on the person. Don't look for someone to click on something they can't click on and convert. It's yeah. just not going to happen. That's a good strategy. It's also you're going to miss out on maybe possibly 35% of the population. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're a big brand, uh, say a big car brand or something like that, It's and you're in a big power play in the market, you're not doing that. It's kind of you know, frustrating. Uh, so what type of clients, uh, you work with Tallwave, uh, what type of clients do you all typically work with? Yeah, is so Tallwave is a, a business design and innovation company and what that means is we work with our clients on customer experience issues they're having, user experience issues on their digital platforms, for example, um, help them innovate around their current businesses and our clients on the consultant side range from like PayPal to American Express, um, Farmers Insurance. The idea being that they come in on the front end of that business. We work them through the workshops and understand messaging and new platforms and different ways they can approach their consumers. And as we pass them down that funnel, eventually they reach what I call distribution, which is then the media going out to market. How do you then take this new approach, this new message, this new creative and put it in front of the right people? So on the media side, um, we'll have clients like AAA and AARP um, who we're working with them to then, you know, here's how you be a little bit smarter with your ad spend. Here's how you you know kind of get off that traditional model of just serving a bunch of impressions and figure out exactly who you're talking to. Um, I think about it uh, just the other day. I was referring to it as top down versus bottom up. So top down, I think, is how a lot of people used to approach their media, where it was serve a bunch of impressions and then start narrowing down to who who's actually performing. Mm -hmm. We kind of do bottom up in most cases, where it's like let's actually start with little slivers of segments of audiences and figure out exactly who we're talking to and what they need to accomplish and build out that full journey all the way through and just see how they perform then. So start from that end creatively too and then they also right. the, the targeting approach. Yeah, so it should be each audience and each outcome has different landing pages, different creative, different messaging to pull them all the way through that because a, a female is not going to respond to the same message as a male, especially if you're working with gyms, for example. A female doesn't want to see the squat rack. They want to see the, the yoga and the spa classes. That's a very general assumption. But yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to follow you there. Understand that. <laughs> I'm not going to follow you there, but it's okay. I understand what you're saying. Uh, no, there's. I mean, you're, you're talking about breaking up that funnel into just bits and pieces, mm -hmm. and that's so you can still take every approach, the awareness approach, those tactics, whether it's 
programmatic, BT, contextual targeting, and then you go down into the more uh, bottom funnel approaches like SEM and, and some paid search too. Uh, so you mentioned device ID uh, last bit. I know that's something that you know is very crucial to a lot of your campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, do you see that data being more restricted in the future years like do you see that that might be something that we be deal we might be dealing with in the future or is that just kind of I mean I don't know like what do you see in that that regard um, something will definitely happen I think all digital media from the start of it till now it's all cops and robbers so regulation and policy can't keep up with the technology so when we come up with things like device ID and and I love it because every time I mention it to a client, their brains are just blown by what we're able to, like, without their their consent, take from their devices and track them and report on. And then the more people that get educated that this is happening, every time you walk into a building, every time you walk near a TV that's playing any kind of audio or anything, people are going to start freaking out about, is, is privacy a thing? Does that exist? And, it, you know, should it? Should it matter? Because I want better ads. Yeah. I, w I want things that are more relevant to me. I'm not going to get away from ads. They're always going to be there. They might as well align with where I'm actually going and the things I'm shopping for. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm on that side. Yeah. So I'm not one of those crypto, you know, uh, people. But I think there's there's definitely uh, a shift. You're right. And, and maybe it won't catch up. We all saw the Cambridge Analytica mm -hmm. Facebook hearing. And our unfortunately, our policy makers are not they don't get it they don't they're not really well well equipped to that <laughs> well uh anything you'd like to add um with tall wave or anything uh i know you're here for a conference about to head back to the phoenix area but yeah anything you'd like to add no i don't think so i mean thank you guys this has been a lot of fun yeah no thanks for joining us here on the queue yeah appreciate it